Welcome to the Propaganda Report. I'm Monica Perez, and with me today is Shane Hazel, the famous and infamous Libertarian candidate for Senate in Georgia in 2020, and the future candidate for Georgia governor when Brian Kemp's or Stacey Abrams, if you like imaginary world. Jerem is up in 2023. Shane is a former Marine and former neoconservative who now dedicates his life to libertarian activism. And I'm very excited to welcome him to the show. Hi, Shane. Thank you for being here. Monica, it is such a, a giddy. Oh, man. I, 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 I can't tell you how giddy I am to, to be invited onto your show. Seriously, thank you so much. It's my pleasure. And I know it's because you like to think and exchange ideas. And that is why I'm really excited to talk to you, too. And I uh, before we dive in, because I've got some like, I want to pick your brain and just see what your thoughts are on some deeper issues. But before that, I, I think maybe if you could give us a little bit of a recap of, you know, not at length, but just what your kind of what got you here to where you are. And as a, as a political activist who wants a voluntary society, and there you are on the stage debating Democrats and Republicans in arguably the most important race in the country, and then getting the blame by these clowns <laughs> that you're the reason either of them it's like if either of you even did what you're even if even either of you ascribe to subscribe to your own party's ideologies if, as flawed as they are even if you just stuck to that it wouldn't be a razor thin but anyway so give us a little bit of how you got here and then we're gonna say where do we go from here well, libertarianism is one of those things that just eats at you until you're just, you know, so motivated that you got to go do something, right? Um, boy, uh, let's see. Where where should we start? I'll, I'll, let's do the abbreviated version. I think most people know uh, my Marine Corps history and uh, special operations, all that fun stuff. And so um, ran as a Republican, was stabbed in the back a multitude of times by the GOP at every level there was, saw that there was absolutely no salvation for these people in that giant machine that's failing. Um, they'd rather just run it into the ground. So I left, uh, got in touch with Michael Heiss um, and Ryan Graham down here in Georgia, who both convinced me that I was a libertarian. I was wasting my time with the GOP. <laughs> Uh, and said, why don't you come over here and do something real? And so I said, yeah, man, uh, cool. I don't think we're going to win in anything, but I think we could probably, uh, you know, change course a little bit. And so I did um, and showed up at the uh, Libertarian Convention down here in February of 2020. And they're like, hey, why don't you be the Senate candidate? And I was like, really? We're just going to come test the waters at, as, a, as a U.S. Senate candidate, huh? So... Yeah, I, I guess, you know, I knew it was going to be a super important election. Um, I will tell you, you know, Ryan Graham said, hey, man, I've seen what you've done um, and in terms of the Republican, the GOP with with uh, at the time, my podcast was The Rebellion and now Radical. And he's like, if you put in half the effort into, you know, a, a Senate run, I think I think we're going to do OK. I said, look, man, I'm a full time dad. I've got, you know, full time show. Well, I should say, you know, show that I do a couple times a week uh, on top of a, a mountain of other things in terms of, you know, real life. And I said, this is going to be this is going to be my hobby. And he's like, cool. <laughs> so, I was going to ask you that. Like, how do you how do you find the time? I mean, I, I, I find it stressful because I have three teens. I don't work outside of doing the podcast and stuff, but it just it can just like political stuff. It'll just expand to to consume all of your time. 
Yeah, you, you can't let it. Um, it's you know, it's 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 a delicate balance. There's uh, weekends are reserved for nothing but family now. Um, I I got to run my own campaign, and for us, we were we were fairly well insulated uh, from COVID uh, just because we were you know we're up here in the mountains, we homeschool, and so you know like you know, we're trying to homestead and everything else. So it's it's all about not being impacted, and then you know to are you know thank god we weren't uh heavily impacted by this whole thing but um yeah the the, the balance in and trying to do this all with family and a real life outside of this um it, you you come down to roi what what can you do and you know these these little things that you know people look at for you know god knows too many hours a day you know these little computers in our pocket hey i can reach people there i can reach them with a podcast how do i do more of this and so COVID hits and everybody's looking at their phone even more and i was like man, we got this. So I ran my own campaign. I, I diverted funding to charities and my local businesses and all that kind of stuff. And I didn't take, you know, campaign contributions. And without, you know, spending a cent, we sent Georgia into a runoff. Um, so it was kind of proof positive of the concept that I had is like, we need to do more. Um, we need to do more virtual. We need to be in people's, you know, back pocket every, you know, every time they turn around, uh, they're looking at their phone, whether it's a program or a tweet or Facebook or whatever, just be in front of people, uh, be personable, show some humanity, share some stories, and by all means, talk about what's relevant, talk about the lockdowns, talk about it crushing people's lives. And when you can do all these things, uh, you know, there's a sweet spot and it came together beautifully. And that was really my entire intent is shove this thing into a runoff. We're going to have the you know, the primary, uh, and then, you know, obviously go into the general, if I can get this thing to go to the runoff election, we're going to make national coverage on top of it. The other Senate race in Georgia in the same year, which never happens was also going to a runoff. Yeah. I was like, man, the stars are aligned for something extremely big here. Um, and so that was, you know, that was the goal. And we, uh, you know, we hit it, uh, crushed, you know, crushed it, sent him into the runoff. And with that, uh, garnered the Irie of the <laughs> GOP across this nation. They're still figuring out, oh, this guy, Shane Hazel, you know, he cost us the election. I'm like, man, I that can't just infuriates me. And I, what I, I, you've probably heard of this Garland Favorito voter GA in Georgia is prosecuting a case or pushing a case that, um, to inspect the ballots because of the funny business in November, although neither he nor I voted for Trump, but we still just want to look at those. And for me, I want to see the down ballot races like that race, but no matter what, the fact is that these guys, I've been watching this election integrity stuff for a long time. And Garland, it's so funny because he doesn't like the Republicans or the Democrats either. He's always defending some like awful person who doesn't deserve it at all. And, but it's so clear, even I, who thought that that Senate race was so important, much more important than the Trump Biden thing. Yeah. It is absolutely 100% their fault. And if they only stood by their own stated principles, like my father, was a traditional conservative, not a neoconservative. And he people ask me, were you raised libertarian? I'm like, actually, I was because that is what that was. Right. But I want to I want to touch on one thing that you said about being a, a homesteader and a homeschooler and um, also doing this. That really uh, speaks to something that I've kind of concluded after all this time. So I used to have that radio show in Atlanta on WSB on the weekends and just did basically what I do now. And but I but in order to connect with people, I really focused on putting the Bill of Rights uh, as the context for my conversations with yeah. them. So I, I believe that there are false flags. And the reason there are false flags is to get you to think 
that the world is a different place from what the founders set up or that human nature has somehow changed so that these um, these principles of law and liberty are no longer relevant. So I tried to keep it in that sense of the Bill of Rights. But as this COVID thing has happened, and I realized it's much more real than that in that you can't just talk about liberty. You have to have that. You have to assert it. You have to assert the autonomy. You have to, you can't be, uh, have uh, liberty in the context of tyranny. You must have, you must assert your right to grow chickens, I say, and, and defend your land with guns. So you have to assert it by being able to do it, in my opinion. But there's another wrinkle, and I hated, hated, hated to admit it because I would will hate to have to do it. But you, because we are occupied by this force, this, this I would say, an occupying force, this post-constitutional government that claims legitimacy, they are occupying our land. So we actually have to go fight them in on their turf, I hate to say it, in the halls of power to make sure that we we hold the line and don't give up gun rights or rights to have chickens. I mean, that do it rights to homeschool. So I feel like your holistic approach to parenting and life is a natural is a natural to include fighting that fight, not not just the fight with soil and your self defense, but that fight in the civilization, in the world where of laws, I think it's very natural. And I feel like it speaks to kind of the personality that I've seen you demonstrate during those campaigns. Yeah. Um, cut out for a little bit of your question. I think I, I've got most of it. Um, the, the idea that you like, when you said like, how do you find time? Like I, I just don't sleep a ton, right? Like I'm always like, I, I work like just whether it's, whether it's on this, whether it's, real work, whether it's family work, whether it's homesteading, like, man, by the time the end of the day finally comes around, I'm, I'm done. The idea that you have to go out and make contact in your civilization, your society, your, your, your little home, right. Um, with the people who are executives, which I think is really the kind of the key. Like I moved to this Cherokee County up here in North Georgia. And the first thing I did was like, Hey, uh, Frank Reynolds, the sheriff, I'm Shane Hazel. And, you know, this is, this is what I'm about. This is what I'm doing. Uh, you know, maybe you've heard of me, maybe not. I don't know. And I don't care. Like there are some things that are going to go on up here. Um, I'm out of the way. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not taking their stuff. This is what I expect out of you as a sheriff. And so it's basically go out and start meeting people, at least introduce yourself and show them that you're a human being and like, Hey man, like I just want good for this community. I want, you know, I want us to be a freer society. And you know, the thing is, is even, even most Republicans in those positions, they have to kind of agree with you, right? Like they have to like, okay, man, like I get it. Like I get what you're saying, but at the same time, like I'm over here enforcing some of these laws. Right. And I, so to, to, to be able to do that and have these conversations and change some things, like even locally with the, the mayor uh, down in Holly Springs here just recently, you know, like it's, I think people are primed. I think they're ready for it uh, to, to be, you know, self-sufficient is one of those things where you gotta also have to, you know, leave, lead by example in this Liberty movement, right? You, if you want to be free, you have to be a person that no matter what happens in the world, like you're going to be okay. 
Can you grow your own food? Can you take care of your self-defense? Can you teach your kids? Can you do whatever, whatever it takes, right? To, to scrap by. And, you know, obviously I've got a background in a lot of this kind of stuff, but it also just kind of goes to study and wanting to learn as you continue to grow older is like, you keep finding these new basket of information in your child, right? You're just kind of like, oh my gosh, this voracious appetite. You just keep, keep, you know, digesting as much as you can. I also think that you make an excellent point about just going and saying hi, especially if you're in a smaller place, that it can be very intimidating to think I've got to change the world. Like my mother, she calls me and she's like, you should run for mayor there in that town. <laughs> I'm like, Ma, I don't even know if they have a mayor in this town. I'm definitely not because I'm an anarchist and I'm not right. You know, but if she had said, you should sit in on the town hall once in a while, go to the council meetings, you know, yeah. then I would do it, you know, but I'm just like, okay, I've got to run for president. She literally says stuff like, you should run for president. You should. I'm like, yeah. You got the best, like if your mom, if she's encouraging you to do this kind of stuff, like that's a really great mom, right? She yeah. believes in you. And she loves Trump. And she's like, see, he wasn't a politician or anything. I'm like, really? I, I think he had an advantage over us, but that's okay. Yeah, like billions of bucks. Yes, yes. And uh, connections that go way back. But the, but the point is like, I find it all very intimidating to think of this big political machine. And, it, but if, if even if, and I love this Harry Brown book, How I Found Freedom in an Unfree World, yeah. even if you have to carve out your own freedom, it's good, I think, to think about what that means. And you have an advantage because I'm sure you understand physical self-defense and also how to you know, feed yourself and your family. But it is little things. And, and I do believe that that is the way to start and not be incredibly intimidated. And there is a lot of time, but you have to take the first step. I mean, maybe there isn't a lot of time, which is something I want to ask you about. Oh but, yeah. Yeah. No, I, and to your, to your point, you know, like as a, you know, as anarchists, right? Like we don't really believe in leaders, right? Like, so like to your, your question is like, you know, why, why do this? Why yes. get into politics for quote unquote power? Well, that's the thing with libertarianism, right? Like as an anarchist, there's still a, it still exists. And I could be, I guess I could be an agorist. It's something that I think, you know, if you want to be an agorist, I'm cool with it. Like the way people Liberty, that's up to you. Like good. <laughs> by all means, just keep doing it. Like we need more of every variety. Um, but for me, you know, like I see this as a platform for communicating ideas and education and, you know, all the way back into the anti-federalists and, and, and further back sometimes. So it's like, you know, am I willing to take some time to share some experience and some knowledge, some humanity, some mistakes that I made to at least plant a seed. Did at least people get people to go, Hey, um, maybe I need to go read a little bit. Maybe I need to kind of shrug off some of this murder cult indoctrination and, and, and maybe go take up this book that this one guy was talking about just on the subject. You know, I'm not going to go too far down the rabbit hole, but that's, that's the thing. What's once you're in the rabbit hole. <laughs> You just find other routes, right? That so. is true. So, so that reminds me of something earlier you said that triggered the thought for me that Ron Paul had said at one point, I'm just here to spread the word. And I always defended Rand Paul because I thought, well, Rand Paul isn't here to spread the word. Rand Paul's here to actually get something done. Yeah. You know, I'm just giving him the benefit of the doubt. He does stuff and plays into weird little dramas that, uh, I mean, Fauci, Trump and, and like his role in the freedom acts was weird to me, but I don't know. I don't, 
I don't need to know the real answer. I don't need to know if there's a rabbit hole there. But they had two valid approaches. Ron Paul's was to spread the word, and mm -hmm. Rand Paul's was to actually win and try to make some changes inside. Sure. And I do, I, I, for one, for right now, I know you can have different things in your life. I, I like the idea of spreading the word, but there is, it's, I feel overwhelmed by the amount of propaganda that was washing over our kids through screens. And I also find that I, and I lay this entirely at Trump's feet. Well, not entirely. I mean, it's, it's been going on for decades, but I feel like he was the last nail in the coffin when Ron Paul was beginning to reignite the excitement over the really brilliant principles, whether the whether the, the Constitution was one thing or another, but the founding sure. principles that we were sold and that we bought and that we defended, those principles are valid to the extent there will ever be, uh, there's any hope for a self-limiting government, that was your moment. And people remembered that. And I do believe that that did, that's the line and people hold it and they got it from their parents and Ron Paul reignited those echoes those archetypes and then trump came and it feels to me like he replaced that ideology with identity politics on the right and now even if you have kids in the bible belts or something who are more exposed to right-wing propaganda than left-wing propaganda it seems to have been gutted of the ideology and i really wonder if you've got thoughts or strategies on reigniting that passion for ideology how to communicate it to people who maybe aren't as well read or well educated as you yeah, it's humanity. Um, if you can get people to actually sit down and have a conversation with your libertarian ass, it's like, <laughs> like that's the, that's the biggest challenge. Is like, hey, you know, I'm not crazy. I, I believe in your rights. I believe in every one of your rights, even the ones that aren't listed in the Bill of Rights. Right, the, the right to travel, the right of association, the right uh, to you know not only self defense but to uh, preserve your your life, liberty, and property. Like, if you can make that connection, and then they're like, okay wait a second, like, I heard you guys were, you know, like, kind of Republican and kind of, li and kind of liberal <laughs> yes. and like, no, nah, man, that's not us at all. Right. So how, how is it best done? I mean, staying on what's in the news cycle, first and foremost, if you can say what's on the news cycle, and people have ideas about those things, and you can introduce, you know, the idea through humanity, open up their eyes, because what's, you know, that old saying that I always butcher, it's, you know, you can, you know, convincing people of the biggest farces in history is far easier than convincing people that they've been duped, right? Yeah. So if you can lead with how you were duped, and then, you know, start back at like, five years old with the, you know, compulsory murder cult indoctrination camps that you went to until you were 18. And then people will go, I went to those, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, I remember 1492 Columbus sailed the yeah. ocean blue. Like, come on, man. Like we know this isn't history and we know this is just this whitewashed version. So as soon as you have that hook in them, I mean, right. Like that you, you find that commonality, like find commonality, bleed into people with your humanity and get back to the, the core principles. And I think, you know, like I was 30 something years old before I said, All right, what are my principles? Like, what, what do I stand for? What, what will I be consistent across the board for my entire life? And, you know, at first it was peace, liberty and free markets. And I had to boil down free markets once I just realized it was like yeah. peace, liberty and consent. Right. So once you start to talk about these kind of things, I've just found inroads, you know, if I can get that toe in the door, think about how long it took you to really become a full fledged, like anarchist right yeah 
it was hard. It was like yeah. you had to swallow a ton of pills. I don't care if it was the Constitution. I don't care if it was you know the American flag and the the, the Pledge of Allegiance or the the Chief Justices. I don't care what it was they told you in the murder cult indoctrination camps. Like you had to swallow some really really hard pills over time. And all you're looking for in these initial encounters is not a full fledged hey man I'm a libertarian. It's we read a book. We listen mm -hmm. to like this because if you like this thing that I'm talking about, I've got a world for you that you've never heard by design. And at that point, you know, it's it's a question. You validated somebody's existence because you're willing to listen to them. If you're using the Socratic method and you can ask questions, there's a two-way street there, right? Because in in so many, you know, what I see, I mean, just got yesterday, right? So yesterday's like I said something, you know, it was probably a tweet, uh, you know, Joe Biden or Kamala or somebody. And then they showed me a picture of like Donald Trump with this big fufa right in the front of his pants. And like, how do you like this? And I was like, I don't care. Like, I'm, you, oh, you think I'm a, you think I'm a Trumper? And then you, this actually works against Trumpers to piss people off. Right. And you're like, this is the, this is the level of dialogue that five-year-olds have, right? Like my kids are better than this. They can have better discussions with people. Like we have to be those people that say, whoa, man, like I appreciate you. We've, you're a human being. I'm a human being. We've, we've just experienced, you know, life in different meat sacks. Like let's, <laughs> like, let's just yeah. talk about some things and find our humanity. And then, you know, at the end of the day, like at least we can sit there and say, Hey man, at least they're a good person, right? Like they might not have it all figured out. Like I don't have it all figured out, but that's the key for me is just go in there and find some humanity and, and get that toe in the door because the rest will take care of itself. That was actually you touch on something that I, I noticed and I really got burned with this in a way that other people don't always get. Cause when I did that radio show, it was a call in show. Yeah. So we, you don't realize how casually you can say stuff, especially if you tend towards partisanship or strong ideology and you end up saying things about cops or teachers or liberals or anything. And right. And all of a sudden you realize that you've just generalized in a way an individualist should never generalize, even if it's about political beliefs. And then you can, you, if you understand, so I would be burned because I, either cops and teachers in my own family who yeah. work for the government who listen to my show, I'm like, why would you listen? A lot of cops listen to my show. Why would you listen to my show? Well, obviously they have a different perspective. They're taking their approach. And I feel like even with teenagers and stuff, they're really bombarded with the identity stuff. The identity stuff does not work if there isn't some truth in it, like Columbus. And I mean, just to think about what happened to the Indians, the American Indians, Native Americans, or slaves or colonized people or indigenous people. And even, I mean, this is a hot topic, but I look at like the way uh, abortionists talks about, like they mm -hmm. stand in the way of progress or they're not human beings yet. And I try to say, you know, these are atrocities that have been committed in the past that give, look at the political power that will stretch, stretch for centuries because you have not gotten your values straight. When they yeah. pull down a statue, they might build, you, may, might build a statue of you. 
And and 100 years from now, when they pull it down, are you going to be happy, you know, that for what it was that you stood for? Or would you rather them not build a statue for you and you'd be able to make your argument to St. Peter? Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. You don't use use money that was taken by force and coercion to ever make a statue of anybody. You could, somebody could could make it for you. But my, it's funny because my, uh, I guess my husband said to my son, like the worst thing you could ever be is, famous and my yeah. son said to my husband that's what mom said <laughs> you don't want statues too wise do not want statues but you what but be careful what you are pursuing and make sure you treat yourself because the the winds can change very quickly and you could be on the losing end of that and i think maybe that is also a way to appeal to kids when they see that like why would somebody who was so celebrated back then have such twisted morals and in in my view it's because they weren't thinking hard enough about it and or didn't have the courage or had something else going on so maybe that is a good way to appeal to the kids because they're very sensitive and and they're very anxious the kids these days are very anxious so. So they have fear yeah so it would be nice say you don't have to be afraid you're in complete control of what's important and that's your value system and if you know how i mean i don't the the food growing thing literally like if you had grass i'm from my family is originally from brooklyn i was from the suburbs but if you i mean just having grass made you a hick so we had <laughs> no access what? to anything that would grow anything. Yeah. yeah it, it's funny, you know, I, when I get uh, just talk to you about, you know, my, my carbon footprint in the world. And I'm like, don't you live in a city? Like you guys destroyed all the natural habitat of everything. <laughs> right. Right, like right. Oh, I, that's the thing. When people talk about infrastructure plans and uh, low interest rates and subsidize anything, I'm like, you know what? If the government stops spending the money and stops subsidizing movement, the price of fi- or, or even subsidize the extraction of fossil fuel with the wars in the Middle East, the prices of fossil fuels would be so insanely high. You would never burn it in your car. Like you would never right. do that. And it, I just never understand how. I mean, they're just not thinking it through. Some people, some people will think it through, but not too often. Certainly not in the propaganda. But um, I- yeah, keep going. Please talk. Oh, I was going to say uh, also to your point about you know some of these um, ways to help people get these really awful pills down uh, a little easier, right? Especially with people like teachers and and anybody who works for the state, cops, you know, military, whatever. Listen, the, the rank and file, like I I was them, like I was the I was that guy in the military that was the the rank and file that knew nothing more than American Star Spangly amazingness, right? And <laughs> when when you were the, willing to die for that. Oh man, you uh, were yeah. willing almost, to die. I almost for did that. quite a few times. I and believe it. It's um, you know, t- to give people that out, like those people have never heard of liberty. Like they've heard the word, but they don't really know what it encompasses. And so to give people that out is like, hey man, they've never heard this stuff. They've never been exposed to it. They've never studied it. Like this has been kept from people on purpose by the murder cult for very good reasons because when people know this stuff, man, they're uncomfortable. You can't govern people that know this stuff. Yeah. You know, that is a very interesting point. And I, uh, my, I love my father to death, but he was a sailor in world war two and he was a truck driver and he was a butcher and he had a gas station literally. So no, he's total libertarian, but he, he cursed like a sailor and he's, and although he would, really roll over in his grave to realize that he taught me how to curse like a sailor. But I, I stopped doing it in in my regular free 
podcast feed because somebody wrote to me and said, I want to share your show with people in my church, with teenagers. And you just, you have a very simple way of whatever, explaining these principles of liberty in the context of things that are going on right now. Mm -hmm. And it was like the first time I ever thought, wow, I think I can, I'm going to have to curb my language just in order to be able to reach out to those people who just haven't heard it and really need to hear it. So that's a very hopeful thought too. I mean, I feel like there are barriers put up, but, but I think you're right. If people just, if you talk to them, they, some of them, maybe even just one person might hear you. Yeah, you're you're not wrong. I mean, I get a lot of flack for swearing. I love profanity. Oh no, yeah, as, go for it. I love as, it too. As a marine, I, I won't cuss on your show because I don't want to have to edit it uh, for your audience or anything. The I, it's like the icing, right? Like I'm not doing it to be mean all the time. It's just like there is, you know, there is a vitriol reaction to what this murder cult does, right? And like, yes, guys, listen, I don't. I'm not them. Like, I don't want to point guns at peaceful people and enact war crimes ever. Not here, not there, not anywhere. So if my cussing can open a door, right? <laughs> yes, and say, yes. oh, you're offended by this. Let me show you something that you'll really be offended by. Right? And with liberty, you can't, you, you don't want to control other people. It's the, it's the last thing you want to do. Not to mention that the art of vulgarity, I actually never hear you curse or swear because oh, wow. <laughs> it's vulgarity. This is the, the thing. Like I'm a Catholic and Catholics draw this distinction where you're not allowed to curse, like damn you to hell or swear, like call God's justice. But all the vulgarity is totally fine. That's why someone had to tell me about like, it was like a Protestant church. Like we can't listen to your show. Oh my. Why the fuck yeah. not? Like, I, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> what the hell? I was a Catholic for about a year and a half, and I gave it up for Lent. Never went back. <laughs> well, you could have used vulgarity up the wazoo. And, oh, uh, I was. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. And drinking. We're allowed to do all the bad stuff. And I have Catholic listeners who write to me like, you've got it wrong. You make it sound like we're a bunch of like drunken sailors. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. I was raised by one, but. 75% of you. Yeah, maybe it is quite possible, but still, you know, if you've got your values in place, that's really nobody's business. It's actually not a problem if you, well, I mean, I guess scandal or whatever, but if you're, I mean, if you sit around, get drunk as a skunk and don't hurt anybody, it's absolutely nobody's business. Yeah, and the same thing with every other drug, right? Drugs. Exactly. That's why I always say like high on alcohol, because I want people to realize they're just high on alcohol, which is the worst anyway. That's right. Yeah, so, it's a plant that grows out of the ground, guys. We're easy, you know, right? Like, yes. So, so here's a question. I want to get to that Rand Paul thing. What? How do you? I mean, do you see a path where you can use both the like internal? I'm taking care of my family and I'm growing stuff, and the kind of reach outreach thing where you talk to people or run for office or whatever. Do you see a path from here to there how we could actually? get people on board with a voluntary society and move towards that? Or, I mean, do we have to have a revolution first? No, I, I don't think we do. Um, I, I, I think I'm kind of the, the, the guinea pig again. <laughs> and this, like, I'm like, hey, you know, I really don't need society. But here's the thing is, I also have a responsibility because I've seen some things, right? Like, there, there's, there's some corrections that in my past I need, I didn't, I need to atone for. There's, you know, going overseas and doing the murder cults business. There's something in me that is like, hey, you know, like I've got to probably spend the rest of my life atoning for this to make sure that some poor kids or some poor fathers or anybody else doesn't suffer at the hands of, you know, this government 
either here or there. So I think that's really um, why I'm doing this in the first place. So I, I think there is a path. I, th- I think especially through executive offices. I think we're a post-constitutional republic at this point. I think the Constitution is a, an amazing tool to help people who are, you know, especially on the right side of things go, oh yeah, you know what? This is what it says. He is right. He is well-studied, if not an expert in the Constitution and the anti-federalists and the federalists. Um, let's let's listen to a little bit more of what he's talking to say or, or what he's saying. So if I can take mayor's offices and I can take sheriff's offices and I can take governor's offices and damn be, you know, DC. Um, I can sit there and start having conversations about nullification. I can start and, and what the thing is, is I can relate it all back to that constitution. So if it even gets us back to, I don't know, like a, a minarchist type society, I'm cool with that in my lifetime. Like, yes, I, I, I've done something right. Like your rights are recognized. I'm cool with that. Like they're not out here fleecing us for, you know, our income. I'm okay with that. Like if I can get rid of civil asset forfeiture, if I can get rid of the drug war, if I can get rid of, you know, nonviolent crimes, if I can do all of these here locally, there is a path. It's just to say, okay, guys, I know you like what we're doing now, but let's talk about it even further. Right. Like, and I had this great conversation with this uh, one lady who's part of the Libertarian Party here in Cherokee County. And um, the, the conversation was something to the, I just don't know how we do this with police. I was like, well, let me explain something. Let, let me ask you some questions. And so I said, listen, at the end of your traffic stops, you know, do you feel, do you feel like when you see a police officer out in the wild, do you feel safer or do you feel anxious? The answer was anxious. And I think most people feel anxious about it unless they're a cop and maybe even still then. Um, and I said, okay, so at the end of your interactions, do they say, did you enjoy your service? How was your service today? Is everything okay? <laughs> it's just like, no, they don't say that <laughs> to me. I was like, All right. So let's put this in the hands. Let's put policing in the hands of Chick-fil-A, right? Let's put it in the hands of somebody that really cares about the, their community that really has to perform to get paid, right? The the entire attitude changes. It's like minimally for ROI, what do we have to do to please our customers, right? There are and, examples of that. You know, there and, are towns that have a sheriff or a cop who is like that. I've seen videos of them talking yeah. about, hey, nice gun. And you're like, that's, and that's the entire conversation right there. I had a yeah. convert and said, you know what? I would yeah. much rather have Chick-fil-A in charge of the police or any, you know, like any yes. local but organization. My, yeah. So I agree with you, of course, that like the voluntary thing, and it would just be a voluntary. I mean, I think self-defense, the, the idea of mutual self-defense is totally overblown anyway, like individual self-defense, the absolute strict four corners of your private property is probably 99.99999% of it. And if you're not right. antagonizing people, you're never getting, Iran's never going to nuke your farm. Yeah, Nobody's touching <laughs> you, right? No. We're good. Yeah, I'm all with that. But but the reason I said like there are examples of that, of like the little small town cops who are agreeable or, you know, recognize that your right to self-defense augments their ability to do their jobs. And, but I, the reason I was saying that is that you were saying, yes, I, I could be a minarchist. And I that was a question I actually didn't, you know, vet with you in advance. I have a, like a long list of things I wanted to talk to you about. But this was what I was going to say. Would you... I, 
it goes to the judicial review question. So you were asked, you were having a debate. It was Nickens, Michael Nickens, maybe um, oh. on your podcast. So I didn't listen to the whole thing, but I got, I did. I listened to a lot of it. It was hey, good. Listen, no, listen, was good. listen to that whole thing, man. I would I'd give you a medal for listening to that. That was, that was super tough. <laughs> there was a lot of cursing after that one. So no, but, um, but one of the things was that you, it, it, I thought it was amazing to me because I've had this thought and I was surprised to hear you say as the one thing where you thought the constitution took the uh, fatal step, exactly what I think is judicial review that the, the, the Supreme court asserts this authority to yeah. assess Congress's right to pass their laws. It defies two, they're two the A, it defies logic. It defies the logic of the separation of powers. There's it right. wouldn't be separation of powers if one of them has total control over the other. And there's no enforcement mechanism in the Constitution. So if the executive, so if the Supreme Court says this law is wrong and tells the executive, the executive's method, he uh, he can execute the laws, but he can't force states to execute laws. There's no mechanism until, and I uncovered this in my interest in how flawed the judicial review is, until the Department of Justice was created. Guess why? Guess why the Department of Justice was created? Oh, uh, more, more centralization. I don't know uh, exactly what event it was, but I guarantee you it was because states were going, eh, I don't think we're going to do that. It was in the South after the Civil War. Even after the Civil War, the South would not accept the, all of the laws of Congress. So they had to create an enforcement mechanism, which makes the FBI, the GOJ, like profoundly unconstitutional, a severe violation of the separation of rights. So yeah. of separate of uh, powers. And and I, I totally agree with that because what you want is just state nullification. You can pass your laws, Congress, but we're not going to enforce them. Yeah. And that just shows you it was a confederacy and not, you know, like a big nation state. But my question to you was going to be. If you could go to the moment before that, and then I couldn't ask the question because the moment before that led to that moment. And every moment before always leads to the next moment and the next moment and the next moment. And here we always, always will be. Right. But if if there if if there were a way, which I don't think so, which is why I'm an anarchist, that there is no way for I, I you like this, that, that it's just that self, the idea of self-limiting government, that is the utopian fantasy. That yeah. is the no, not voluntarism. <laughs> self-limiting government but if you could have it would you accept the constitution and i i would i would accept the constitution if it could you know i would take that compromise in my in my lifetime if we get back to a constitutional government i'll feel like we have succeeded in freeing a lot of people i, I really would I, I and i you know expectations right you got to manage some expectations i'm a dreamer and an optimist <laughs> which is kind of like it's tough in politics <laughs> You're gonna you're gonna get crushed here and there, um, but you know if 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 I could get it back to that point, I probably would take it. And here's the thing: is like, would I amend some things? Like, would I say, hey, listen, all the all the clauses that are there, like the general welfare clause, the interstate commerce clause, like all of these open ended things that the anti federalists are like, yo, hey guys, this is how this is gonna go down. Oh, right? they flagged them. I know oh, I knew my. some, but I did. I love Patrick Henry. Yeah. I have the answer. I have like volumes of the Anti-Federalist Papers. There's a lot of them. Patrick Henry, Brutus, yes. the Farmer, yes. uh, all the. Uh, if you guys don't know the Anti-Federalists, I I actually do them. I'm, I'm actually I need to do another show, and maybe my next show again is in, yeah. the next Anti-Federalist. I'm up to like thirty out of eighty-five. I yeah, think. there's a lot. Like I thought I bought the whole thing, but I just bought one volume. Like, yeah. So no. I was just gonna collect it's, them all, but there's just so many. 
it's it's funny to see him too because when you compare him to the Federalists, they're very succinct in um in the way they argue, which I think gives great credit to the idea of decentralization and liberty versus all the tricks and yes. gimmickry and language that the Federalists had to lose. Like they call them the so yeah, if you want to. The anti-federalists went back. There were prophets, and they, they were basically like, "Look, guys, they're going to use all these hobgoblins and bugbears, which were, you know, obviously what they're talking about is fear, right? And yep. when they when they talk about fear, they're going to use this as debt. They talk about the debt with France. They talk about it with the Netherlands. They talk about all this, you know, all the Indian tribes in terms of going to war. Like it's the same damn playbook, the same modus operandi, like that they, they, they use then as they use now, only obviously they have a giant, you know, broadcasting system um that they manipulate people with. So I would I would accept it um with some changes. But yeah, I mean in my lifetime if we get back to the the fact that we all have rights, I mean that'd be <laughs> yes. that'd be a cool thing. <laughs> yeah, just restoring the Bill of Rights, I would accept that. And I agree. And the, the thing about the Constitution, the Federalists versus the Anti-Federalists, the Federalists yeah. were promoting the Constitution, the Anti-Federalists wanted to retain the Articles of Confederation. I yeah. think uh, as you and Pete Q were saying, like there's anyone who doesn't know that the Constitution was a coup just doesn't know history. I mean, there was right. no mechanism to replace the Articles of Confederation. There just wasn't. There was, it was, it, that was the foundational document of the nation to the extent it was a nation, the Confederacy. And that's that. If it's if you destroy that, you destroy the Confederation. And what were you told in school? What was like seriously? What was the one sentence in your history book? Everybody knows it. I don't know. The founders were uh, George Washington was the first president. The Articles of Confederation were. Oh, did it work? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's all they ever said about the Articles of Confederation. You're like, all right, I got, I got you guys. That goes to the the. The fundamental myth of our time, which I've said before, and I'll say it again, like the, in, let's say it's true, not sure it's true, but that in the middle ages, it was like unthinkable to question the existence of God. Like it was just, people were like, what? But now it's unthinkable to question the necessity of government. People are like, oh, you're an anarchist. Everyone just kill each other. That's like what yeah. you had in that debate with Nickens. It was like, I just don't know why you want everyone. They can't control themselves. They're all going to kill you. It's like, of course, that's why I want my guns back. The government's yeah. the problem. The government's the reason I can't defend myself against all the people who want to kill me. And by the well, way, most people don't want to kill you. There's this other thing, right? Like, well, most people don't kill people on a daily basis, right? No, because it doesn't work in the long run. What are you going to well, get? Then they're not, you know, the real trick is to enslave them, which is what the government does to us because you just kill. But it just doesn't work that way. Anyway, most people find that they don't have the power to dominate other people. So they, they don't want their to own chickens. Yeah. And so they, and they also avoid, you know, uh, retaliation. They, re, exactly. they avoid putting themselves in danger. And it's much easier yes. to sit there and go, Hey man, like maybe I'm even a little short. Could you extend me a little bit of credit and depend on people's good nature? Like most people are good people. Um, I agree. <laughs> I, I, I would like to hit on the point that when I call it a murder cult, like I'm talking about this, like, by design because of you know the aristocratic combination of what it is it's like it's the government it's the corporations it's the banking cabal it is the propaganda machines it's the schools it's it's everything that they touch right and it's also got the you know the the, the, the documents in terms of the sacred text it has you know s slaughter in terms of sacrifice in it 
it has all of these things. It has, you know, the, the the black robe people and the and the you know the chiefs and everything else, like the bishops, the the pope. Like it's all there. It's a religion of the state, and people have been, you know, so you know, force fed and brainwashed that they, you know, they're like, oh, separation of church and state. No, guys, the state is a religion in itself, and it's it's compulsory. Like that's the problem. And it seems like to me, and I hate to be so simplistic, but it seems like the actual state religion is now healthcare. It's the it's the scientists, it's the doctors, and that, those sacred texts are yeah. l- literally written in Greek. They're yeah. literally written in Greek, and you're not allowed to. Read. If you say like I'm reading this trial right here of the vaccine, and they're like, are "You, how are you qualified to read it?" Like, well, it's mostly in English, and the Greek <laughs> things I can look up. Right. You know, and who the hell are you? Like, I could have gone to whatever school you went to and gotten whatever letters you have. Like, what I probably paid for it. So, so yeah. When yeah, you, they, when they you they read peer-reviewed doctors, um, you know, like I kind of consider that a pretty good source of information. Yes, of course, or at least of a value. You, it, they have to lay out their reasoning. So when you use the, the that religion aspect of it, also taps into the fear thing. So right now it feels like that lockdown last year was a, it was an undeniable an undeniable evidence of a truly post constitutional country. Do you? This is going down the rabbit hole a little bit, but do you feel like it's okay? What you see is what you get. Like COVID was scary, and those guys were doing their best, and um, now we need these uh, vaccines because otherwise we'll all die. Or do you think that they exploited a real crisis, that they fomented a crisis? Like, what's your view of the past 18 months? Yeah, so there are some things that are still um, very classified in terms of what the state does with um, disease, right? Like, we have, like, in the military, we have this thing called NBC, nuclear biological chemical experts, right? And within those fields like the one of the the things that they do is they make sure that you perish slower than the enemy on the battlefield and you go through all this training for this kind of stuff do i think this stuff was cooked up in the lab i do i think they weaponize stuff all the time i think i think aids was weaponized i think covid is one of those things that they have you know done what gain gain of function you know like all these i think yes right in terms of these things leaking and getting out do i think it was planned could be, uh, you know, I can't say for sure, but here's the thing is like, like when I think was it 2016, 2017, when Fauci came out and said, Donald Trump will face <laughs> a, uh, a, a, uh, some, some type of, um, pandemic within his, uh, you know, four years. And I was just like, Whoa, like, okay, that's a, hey. that's a hell, that's a hell of a prediction, man. So, you know, I, I, I do think there is a, I think there's a lot of people who saw an opportunity on top of a bad situation. And, you know, obviously the old saying is, is you never let a a good emergency go to waste. So they all piled on this, including the Republican governors. And they said, let's see how far we can take this thing. Right. I think it's backfired. I think they, I think they went too far too fast. I think they were sloppy. I think, you know, all of these things have come back and hit them in the butt. Do I think it was a trial run? I don't think it was a trial run. I really think, that these guys thought that this was it. I think that they, they thought, you know, this is the way it's going to go. Now, 
let's like I like the conspiratorial side and to see you know what it is and and and, and who's involved and go back in history. The addition of Fauci and Bill Gates together, I think, is a very <laughs> fascinating subject, right? Like these guys knew each other in what college, right? So they they've been boys oh, for a is that while. Part of the new revelation about the Fauci emails. I don't remember that thing about Gates. I know Fauci's dark history. That I absolutely know. Right. Uh, and so Gates's as well, but I didn't know they were connected. Figures. I'm trying to Cornell, Cambridge, wherever the yeah, hell they probably, went. Yeah. Um, they Cornell knew each other. Right. Um, the, the, uh, the other understanding that I think, um, Bill Gates's dad, his was on the board of Planned Parenthood yes, before, I think it was even before Roe versus Wade, if I do my math. Yes. Right. And obviously Fabian socialist set up Planned Parenthood, uh, Margaret mm -hmm. Sanger and all these kind of things. So if you understand that that's all population control by design. And you know that Bill Gates is all about vaccines and he got kicked out of places like India for introducing more vaccines mm -hmm. and the rate of autism went through the roof. And then he's talking, you know, and, and other, you know, you know, bits and pieces here and there about, you know, the, 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 the population of earth, you know, can't be sustained in what we're doing. Um, you know, I don't know. It's you just look though. at it. And and you're like, he's a second generation guy. Yes. To have, uh, the gene therapy that they're administering to people all around the world in the yeah. hands of an intergenerational eugenicist family kind of makes you wonder, like if the guy's number one goal has always been population control and he's the guy in charge of vaccines and healthcare, you've got to think that there's something behind that. But then there's also the money stuff. I mean, there is, there is oh, a lot of money in it. Especially, and this is where the state, so people like like to point to the evil capitalist, big pharma, which I'm right there with you. It's it's yeah. whatever you want to call it. It's really fascism, corporatism. Yep. But but the genius coup that they executed, it could not have happened without the government. What the government does is they forcibly take your money away from you and they put it in a kitty. And then they tell you, you have to go get this thing that they then pay for. So they they make you buy a product that completely disconnects your decision-making authority. Yeah. I mean, I, I they need a new word for that kind of fascism. I think it might be like <laughs> Nazi, but I can't, I'm not, I mean, it seems to me like what the Nazis did, but hey, it's just a wrong. whole new level. Yeah. Yeah, like the, the fact that they're trying to do this again in history so, so close to when it happened last time, you're like, guys, like, they, they did this like there's plenty of us there's sp still people who are alive that, that were part of that entire part of you know the germany fiasco right like this is this isn't gonna happen again the way it is and thank god for guns but i mean you, yes uh the the whole thing is um i th i think somewhat scripted and and i think one of the the biggest tales of this entire thing is the omissions right it's like Hey guys, like we're, we're working on some MRNA. We're working on some shots that are, you know, like we've deleted all the, the clinical trials that we've ever done because it leads to, you know, the body attacking itself and autoimmune deficiencies and, yes. and, and animals. Like we're not telling you that part of it. We're not talking about that. We're also not talking about ivermectin, which was a 2015 Nobel Peace Prize winning, um, you know, medication. Yeah, yeah. People were using it for antiviral, antibacterial things and livestock and things like that. You know, being a homesteader and, you know, being somebody that's been around animals, like, you know what ivermectin is, right? Like in small doses, people who have, you know, I should say physicians who have put people from the ICU on this have gone home at over an 80% rate. The, the fact that 
Fauci talks about his vitamin D uptake somewhere around 7,500 or 8,000 units a day. Yeah. Wow. And that doesn't, he, he never talks about that. Like it's, it's all these omissions. Interesting that what you're saying is making me think of something I hadn't thought about before. And just by the way, James says he doesn't think the college buddy thing is true because he researched it a yeah. little bit and found the Asian work, but whatever, it doesn't matter. They're definitely from the same cloth. But what you were saying about, you know what ivermectin is, you know what these things are? Um, I had COVID and I totally like was borderline not believing in it. And it was a totally different thing from a flu or cold in my experience, like completely, completely different. The only thing that made me feel better on my, normally I like kick things within 24 hours. I was like two weeks into it. And I started drinking tonic water, having, I would even drink gin and tonics with a lot of lime because my dad who's like real old school would say, Hey, he would joke. He would have gin and tonics. And he'd say, hey, man, I'm curing malaria. I'm curing scurvy. You know, just back off. Right. I'm just taking care of my health, okay? So at like seven years old, I could make like a great gin and tonic. Whiskey sour in case you need a little whatever lemon juice. So so uh, it, I realized then, and I, I came upon a couple of articles, that, that the lung problems could be is something that happens as a result of low oxygenated blood. So I concluded, and I'm not the first person to think this, and a lot of people are saying this is really a blood disease. I think Dr. Andrew Kaufman said it first, uh, well over a year ago, it looks like a blood disease. If they allowed us to think that, so they call it respiratory disease instead, but if they allowed you to think of it as a blood disease, people who understand things about, um, you know, natural medicine or uh, natural remedies would have approached it differently. Instead, we're we're all thinking that it's a respiratory thing, which or like a localized viral episode, mm-hmm. which would have a very different. You know, that's you're washing your hands all the time and wearing masks. Like I think that stuff maybe even be a deliberate wrong direction because they really want to sell us what they want to sell us. Now, yeah. and I. I did want to, as a follow-up on that, is say, so I see the money, and as a, as a thing, I don't usually go to the money first. Do you feel like, you know, what's the true nature of power in the world today, and, and are they after money? Are they after power? Is it, you know, some people go as far as transhumanism. I know I'm called a conspiracy theorist, but, like, I don't even have my mind around transhumanism or aliens, but, like, what do you think it is? Is it, is it money? Is it power? Is it world government? Like, what's your big picture? So I... I obviously understand the lens through some some different, um, or I should say, you know, kind of just my reality, right? The way I look at things, like um, a lot of it reverts back to the military and maybe even post-military. So in what I see is you've got a population that's aging right now, a huge population. You know, the, the baby boomers are aging out. And that means they're starting to collect Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, all these programs that are, you know, obviously bankrupt. And as a veteran, I see the similarity when you go from an asset, right? An, a, a government asset. So for us, you know, when you get out of the military and you're now a veteran and you go to the VA, you're a liability. You're not in the asset column anymore. You're a liability. Here's your pills, man. Take this pill salad. You know, <laughs> you probably don't need any of these things. And they're probably going to do, you know, some really bad things to you. But here, go take this. And at the end of the day, like if you guys die, we really don't care. Right. That's really the kind of like that's what I've seen in my own life. So if I apply that to the aging senior citizens in this country, and now they've gone from paying in on taxes 
now to being a net drain on taxes and they're no longer a contributing part of the workforce, you're looking at liabilities of the state and the state's just going to sit there and go, boy, we got a lot of liabilities, guys. Like maybe we should take them out. Maybe we can give them shots. Maybe we can house them up, you know, and torture them because let's face it, torture uh, and, and, and isolation is, is a big form of torture, right? Like to feed them all this different information, to, to make them kind of, you know, psychologically crazy on top of, you know, deprivation of a year, boy, you can get people to do a lot of things just to get back to quote unquote normal, get your rights back, right? Here's this injection. So what right. if, right? What if, you know, in, in nine, 10 months from now, after people have got this injection, autoimmune deficiencies start happening all over the place. I mean, we've we've all heard what it does to women and the, the, the menses cycle and everything else. And you're just like, boy, like if this is, you know, somehow even contagious after that, you're like, you, you nobody knows. Yeah. You know that, that you're answering a little bit of the kind of follow-up question I wanted, which was if like, when you talk about, okay, the state looks at it as an asset versus liability. Yeah. In, I think it's easier for my, me to get my mind around it as a microcosm of like maybe a state not as giant as the United States or whatever that, you know, the octopus of world power and think of it more on a local small level. And once you bring in that population control element, there there's a person who's, who's uh, you know, hook I can hang that on, which is Bill Gates, for example. Yeah. But when you see, I mean, I do want to follow up on that, though. If you see in that microcosm of like maybe a smaller country that you've, I don't know how, I, I think you probably have a really good sense of how the power really worked in some of the places that you were stationed. Mm -hmm. Do you, you know, who's who's the who's the state? It, the state, say moi, right? The state is the person. The state is Saddam Hussein or the state is whomever. You know, is that how it works in the Middle East and some of those small countries? Is there a person or a family who is the state? And do we have the equivalent of that? Because that oh, would give I, it more of that kind of agency. It's it's more of, you know, like I, I hate to do this, but it's more like Hydra, right? Like um, when, when if, you, if you're a fan of Marvel, you know, if you've got kids like I do, like it, Marvel is more or less right on the button with, you know, what it is. It's, it's this multifaceted, unstoppable machine and it's corporate interests, it's banking interests, it's government interests, it's everybody acting in their own selfish interests that can live off of other people and they don't care who they have to kill or who they have to cage to do it. So when you look at, you know, places like the Middle East, like, you know, Mosaddegh was our first coup in the Middle East in Operation Ajax against Iran, right? I know so that we, one, we, yeah. We, yeah, we went in, the CIA, you know, helped out the UK because BP uh, was having trouble getting the oil from underneath Iran's sand and they're like, yeah, we're going to cut this shit out. And ever since, that's that's been the entire driving force for the, the the distrust and the animosity between us and them and the UK and them and, and everything that's going on in the Middle East. So when you look at it that way and you say, hey, you know what, Saddam? Yeah, you know, as Scott Horton would say, clean shaven chin, you know, guy in the Middle East. Yeah, he's, he's a monster and everything else. But here's the <laughs> thing is, we backed him. We gave him, you know, the, the the gases that he used in Anfall and everything else, where he slaughtered tons of Kurds and tons of Shiite and thing like that. Um, you know, 
anybody that's a problem, uh, like Syria, maybe we're not getting a pipeline through. Let's go in and, and do some war crimes, right? Like the international community is withdrawing from Syria. I'm going to gas my own people. No, I don't think <laughs> I don't think that that makes a whole lot of sense. Gaddafi, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, how he wanted to get Africa on a, a gold standard. And they were like, nah, not to mention, you know, he's also kind of like, I don't think we should probably be running, you know, these guns and everything else from here to Syria. Like, so yeah, it, it's more or less who are the players behind the scenes and it's everybody, you know, obviously uh, the, the banks I think are probably the biggest part of, of what goes on because, you know, what's the old saying from Rockefeller? If, if I print the money, I don't care who makes the laws. Right. So. Yeah. I uh, think that's very illuminating. And I always thought of a big, I, I thought of the banks, you know, finance, defense, um, and energy as being the big three of the military industrial complex. And then I thought big pharma, big farms uh, or big ag and big tech yeah. were underneath it. Now I feel like that's going to flip, but My. it's very illuminating how you put it because I find that, and I actually wonder sometimes if this is a trap in, you know, conspiracy researchers world that like the conspiracy gets too hot. Like then all of a sudden you've got aliens and it's, you know, what can you do with that? Right. So I don't, I'm not up with the aliens, but I mean, I'm not saying there are, but I just don't, I don't go there. But like, I do sometimes wonder uh, if there is that occult cabal, that there is uh, some weird, I, I, you know, secret society stuff. Some of this stuff looks like black masses, like 9 11 well, or whatever. Look, but, but maybe it's as simple look at as Jeffrey Epstein's island. I mean, what the hell is that? white and blue brick building on it you're like what the hell like if i had billions of dollars that's not what i would do and i know different strokes for different folks but jesus christ like we know that guy's a pedophile we know everybody associated was a pedophile like these guys are monstrous thieves and murderers and like the, the fact that you know everybody's like oh they're different the democrats and the republicans you're like dude oh i do you see i know that's ridiculous but even even with that like you're you're down to earth. It's, uh, you know, that's I try. really crazy. It's only down to earth, like in, from the 60,000 perspective, but a feet perspective, but the down to earth thing being that it's like, it is ultimately money, power, relationships, desires. Yeah. Like even the Jeffrey Epstein thing, I imagine if you are worth billions of dollars, you own countries, you really don't have to follow laws. Maybe you are literally sit around thinking of ways to satisfy a deeper and deeper appetite. I mean, it is quite possible that that's what that all is about. And it isn't anything about sacrifice or maybe you fantasize or actually tap into I don't know a, ma a magic, you know, a, a, a power, not, I'm not even going to the magic, no, but I'm hey. just saying like that, that you think, because they do like, they do rituals. These secret societies do rituals, right? So why, why do you do rituals either to get real power or to make it look like to other people that you have tapped into some supernatural power? So well, not only that, but like when you, when you really understand like the, the history of religion too, right? Like I, I've been telling my, my, you know my listeners about this book uh the immortality key that what is some of my readers uh turned me on to the 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 hijacking of religion at christ right like unbelievable what they did in terms of taking psychedelics away from people and sterilizing the communion and, and all this stuff like you're just like once you've done some psychedelics right and i and i mean 
be be safe. Like do drugs like an adult if you're going to do them. But once you've done some psychedelics and you understand like, oh shit, like they're, they're hiding this kind of stuff for a reason, right? Um, because once you see it, you can't unsee it. So to, I need, you start to go, okay, well, yeah, you know what? Maybe the occult is real. Maybe the fact that they have a whole bunch of stuff locked up inside the Vatican that this guy, uh, Brian Maraska, I think is how you say his name. Um, super, super smart guy. This, this whole thing, you're like, everything's been a lie. Like everything is a, is been a lie from the very beginning from these people, including your favorite religion. And you're just like, holy cow, you know? So, you know, to, to understand, you know, to your point with aliens, Paul Krugman being the ex, you know, you know, economic advisor to uh, Barack Obama, when he talked about spurring the economy by faking a alien invasion back in like, I don't know, 2008, 2009, I think Bob Murphy and Tom Woods did an entire show on Contra Krugman <laughs> about the whole thing. And you're sitting there going, all right, we got a space force now and they're, they're releasing documentation on off world type vehicles hmm. and they're prepping they're prepping society for maybe a alien war and you're like man you sound like a crazy person well here's the thing is these people have suppressed everything from the the, the time of christ they have told you fiction after fiction after fiction that is provably false and you're sitting there going yeah all right i'll be crazy you can you can throw stones and, and call me names by all means i don't give a damn like when we're talking about the murder cult there is nothing that they won't do for power period that is very interesting and the fact that there is that what is literally occulted information literally secret information that is definitely meaningful i mean there are secrets they're keeping secrets for sure no question about it yeah so well i might have to read the immortality key that might be oh. my next big book is it great it's so good and i'm telling really? you you're gonna, you need to stretch your brain because uh, to give you a little bit of a pur purview like brian is classically trained and i think one of the ivy league schools in ancient greek and ancient you know like he's a linguist this guy can read everything from ancient greek to latin into you know he'll go into spanish or french or german he can speak aramaic he can read all of these ancient texts and he travels and he asks the questions and like he had he hasn't done psychedelics either which is even more interesting because you're like he wants to stay kind of away from this kind of thing uh and, and be objective right and you're like to to listen to this guy go through times and places and people and just hear him switch between latin and greek and all of the history he's like indiana jones only better and it is it is a book that will bend your mind I'm going to get it immediately. And that's another interesting point about the, the languages. I see videos that these conspirers are, are saying in English and nobody's watching them. I read books that are in English that nobody's reading. Imagine if it was in a foreign language. Like even I wouldn't know it. Like we're in this tiny right. percentage of people who know some stuff that is in the mainstream media. I wouldn't even know that. And think about how English is just taking over the world to the point where some countries like their own language is a minor language. I mean, that, that is interesting. So we could obviously go on and on, but I, I want to make sure that we learn a little bit about your plans for the next step. Are you really running for governor? 
Absolutely. 100%. I am going to seek the nomination of the Libertarian Party here in probably January, February of next year. So, um, yeah, putting in the putting in the work and the diligence on this ever since Brian Kemp came out and said something to the effect of in his most twangy, ridiculous. If you see people gathered in a group of 10 or more, tell them to disperse. And if they don't call us. These people. Oh, my what? God. You're a I maniac. Had, I had such dirt on Brian Kemp. I so. When I had my radio show in Atlanta, Kemp and Stacey Abrams were fight were whatever right. duking it out. And people would like it. This is just another one of those things. Like where Caitlyn Jenner, for example, it's like, eh, I think he or she or whatever is kind of full of shit, but it's entirely within that person's personal decision to do what they want. So like everybody hated <laughs> me on both sides. Same thing with Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp. I was like, they're both pieces of crap and I can prove it to you with item after item. So I would do shows on both of them. Same show would be both people. I would still get tons and tons of hate mail. I don't know. But Brian Kemp, the big thing for him, which was before election integrity became an issue. And I, my guess is that he was the powers that be selection because they knew that he would go along with any kind of election shenanigans, because I don't know if you know this, but in 2016, he was secretary of state when there yeah. was an absolute breach in the server. So yeah. that I remember saying like, this guy cannot be trusted. You can't make him president. He's a governor. He absolutely cannot be trusted. So I hope, and Stacey Abrams, Miss Fair Fight, Miss All I Care About is Election Integrity, didn't even bring it up. Like, oh, well, not only that, because she was going to exploit it, and on top of it, she's a Bilderberger asset. Like, she, I know, like, you guys, she cares about the people. She's hanging out with billionaires over in Europe. What are you talking about? She's not a billionaire, she is somebody that they can manipulate so that they, she'll do their bidding. Like, I'll tell you right now, Stacey Abrams runs. Have fun. Like, I'm gonna, uh, that would be super fun. I, ha I should send you the my show from that era. Please I do. think Garland was even on it because he filed a lawsuit against brian kemp for that and the attorney general said no would not would not prosecute it which made no sense but i go through her like 10 internships the state department yukos oil for the kissinger foundation where she was literally trying to manipulate russian kids bring it on kids. oh my gosh it's so great i've done a few stories on her she is deep state starting when she was in sure. high school so wow. I'm happy to share that with you. Oh, yeah. And the Brian Kemp stuff, too, is like shocking. So I'll be 100% uh, in your corner, even though I'm no longer in Georgia. <laughs> but I'll give you a platform. I still half my listeners are still in Georgia. And what can people do to find you, to listen to you, to help you? Bring it. Yeah, Radical Pod, I'm going to self-fund. Um, so it's one of those things where I stay away from special interests. I'm going to provide a service, and if people like it, then I'll do a lot better than if they don't like it. It's just, it's one of those things. You got to practice what you preach, right? So it's, hey, market, I'm not going to take a, you know, a salary. If I am governor, we are going to push for energy independence. We're going to free the farmers to grow whatever the hell they want. So if they want to go hemp, they can go hemp, and we can start creating biodiesel. Um, but RadicalPod.com. It's got all my links. Uh, my show is there. Um, and I'm every you know major podcatcher. Uh, Radical is the name of the show, obviously. But yeah, if people want to help, they want to volunteer, get them plugged in. And uh, you know, it's going to be a completely different type of campaign than uh, people are used to. And you know, uh, it's that's what we got to be. I, I, we got to stop being trying to like gain their favor and be like them and start being completely completely damn different from these these people like the scourge of the earth why would you want to be like them i don't want their approval i just want to kick them in the nuts i am finally on that page it took a long time for this soccer mom to say i don't care what you think of me you're the problem lady 
You're yeah. the fucking problem. You move if you don't want to sit within six feet of me. Right. So, and I actually had you on by absolute popular demand. As I said, so many of my oh. listeners are from Georgia and they love you. And they, I'm sure that you will uh, be successful. And I cannot wait. And anytime you want to come on or anything we can do to get the word out, call to action. And we'll be listening to your podcast in the meanwhile. So thank you so much, Shane Hazel, for your time. Honored. Honored.